Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Thank you for um, this opportunity to be a family together, to do life together. And we pray, Lord, that it would more and more increasingly be a true spiritual family together. Um, we pray for the offering, Lord, that you would just uh, um, bless um, those who are able to give and those who aren't able to give, Lord. We pray for those who would love to give but just can't right now. We pray that you'd um, provide for them. Um, we pray for a good use of those funds, Lord, for, for, for the building up of your church and the spreading of your message. And Lord, as we come to this message of parenting, um, we need your grace big time. Um, every time that I think about parenting, um, there's, there's feelings of guilt, inadequacy, and just the challenge of it all. And Lord, we pray that you give us grace. We pray that you give us grace for those who are here that have broken relationships, either with their parents or with their child. We pray for those who are here who have dealt with infertility and miscarriage, those who have lost kids, those who have lost parents. Um, there's lots of things this could stir up, Lord, past abuse, um, fears, frustrations, feelings of failure, Lord. We pray that you would come be our true father here. Speak to your children. We know that you love your kids and want to bless them, and we are ready to hear from you. We're excited to hear from you. We pray that you would apply the gospel to our wounds and that you would apply your spirit to empower us this morning. We are expectant. We're listening, Lord. Please speak. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're in a series in the Proverbs, and um, this morning we're going to talk about parenting. So we're just going through different topics in the Proverbs, kind of get what the Proverbs say about these different things. And um, our culture is actually kind of split on kids. Um, If you look at kind of what our secular culture says about kids, about half would say that children are kind of just a burden. Um, The other half would say that children are kind of our identity, you know. So one would see them as a burden, one would see them as our identity. In our area, it's very common to be the second one to see our kids as providing our significance and our meaning. You know, we find our meaning and significance and identity in their, in their accomplishments at school or their uh, sports accomplishments or their career, that they just turn out well and well-behaved, maybe in their looks. Our children can become um, kind of a way, uh, we, we see them as a reflection of our worth and our value. Um, we see them as a reflection of our image, which is far too much pressure to put on them. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's a, a pressure that parents can put on their kids, way too much pressure. And so you have, like, if it was a pie chart, you have half of them saying kind of, your kids are a bird, and the other half would say, oh, they're my identity. And then there'd be this little sliver of biblical belief about what children are, uh, should, how we should really view our kids. But guys, as Christians, I think we can admit that we could fall into either one of those. And I think it's very common for Christians to find their identity and their worth in how well behaved their children are and how well their kids act. And that's why it can be really hard to come to church, right? If you come to church, you bring your kids, you're here and you're like, do not embarrass me here, I will kill you, right? Kind of a thing that there's all this pressure for your kids to, to look a certain way and be a certain way when you gather with other Christians. And I, Let me just make a deal with you. Your kids can be themselves here and so can mine, okay? Your kids can be themselves here, and so can mine. Guys, the church is a family. There's no need to gather together and try and act like your kids are something other than your kids, right? Let them be themselves here. Um, This is a place where there's parents at all different levels, parents that their kids have moved out, just getting started, all different stages. And um, some people's kids are harder than others. Some people's kids are easier, you know? It's just the way it is. Some people are at an easier or harder stage of parenting. And we're going to extend you grace here. I mean, this isn't going to be a place where we're going to, you know, oh boy, you must not be parenting. That's not the case. I mean, I think all of us that have parented for a while, when we see a disobedient kid out in public, we don't think anymore like, 
man, if they would just parent. You know, we're just saying like, oh, thank God, this isn't me this time, right? You know, <laughs> kind of a thing. So your kids can be themselves here. And, um, and so we can see, you know, people can see kids as a burden or as their identity. But biblically, kids are not a burden but a blessing. You look through the Psalms, it's very clear about that. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a reward. They're a gift. They're like arrows in a quiver of a warrior, right? So they're, they're not a burden. They're a blessing. They're also not about our image. They're about God's image, right? If you look at Genesis 1, he says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Your children have been made not to reflect your image and your value and worth, but to reflect God's image and value and worth. I think that's super important to realize. Um, and so our main text that we're going to be in is in Proverbs 23, 26, and it reads like this. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. And so we're going to dig into this text, but before that, I want to say two things that are going to let some pressure off. First one is, is that parenting has never been done without sin. You realize that? So sin entered the world in Genesis 3. There was no parenting before that, right? Parenting's never been done without significant sin, okay? You will be no exception, okay? You won't be an exception to that. I remember that, you know, when we first had kids, I mean, it was really an exposure big time of my sin because I thought I was very sacrificial and patient and all that. Well, I wasn't. You know, we were married for uh, five years before we had our first kid. And the thing was, I look sacrificial and patient because Tosh and I like to do all the same things. You know, she, I like to do all the things she liked to do. Something like Nacho Libre, right? No way, you know. Um, I like to do all the things she liked to do, right? And then we have this infant, and it turns out, like, I don't want to do anything this infant wants to do, right? And that's where my patience was seen for what it was. There wasn't any, and, and where my sin came out. And I, I want you guys to know, you're going to see your sin in parenting, but parenting has never, ever been done without significant sin, and you will not be an exception. Okay, that'd be the first thing to let some pressure off. The second is, is that parenting is not a formula. What I mean by that is, it's not as if if you do the right parenting, you are guaranteed a successful outcome. You just realize that? It's not as if you do this kind of parenting and out pops a well-adjusted, you know, wonderful, successful Christian adult, right? Children are not vending machines, okay? It's not as if you put in your quarters and out pops a Coke, you know? It's not, that's not the way it works, right? They're, they're, they're human beings. They have their own desires and things like that, and so parenting is not a formula. There's not absolute success guarantee, and you might say something like, well, what about Proverbs 22.6? Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. You guys have to remember, though, that's a proverb, not a promise, the Proverbs are not promises. I think it's very easy to view them that way. I'll give you an example. Proverbs uh, 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Okay, are there diligent people out there that are poor? Okay, are there, um, are there people that, um, you know, are lazy and have somehow come into riches? Yes. What are the Proverbs then? They're the ways that things actually go. They're wise statements about how life usually goes, right? They're not promises, they're proverbs. And so, biblical parenting usually does yield good fruit, but not always. Um, because you're, the, you're only one of three factors, you realize this, in how your kid turns out. There's, there's your parenting, which is important, and we're going to talk about that this morning. There's their own choices, because they are their own human beings, okay? And then there's, um, thirdly, there's God's sovereignty, right? God's sovereign grace, and so there's three things there. So we're going to look at your lane, which is parenting. But I just want to take a little bit of the pressure off and say it's not a formula. It's not, if, you know, if you just would have parented, that kid would have turned. It doesn't work that way. Your parenting's important, though. 
And so what do we do? We, 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 we practice what the Bible says as faithful as we can, empowered by the Spirit. We pray over our kids. I think of it like in Job chapter 1, that great picture of Job where he, he prays for each one of his children and offers a sacrifice for each one of them. You who are dads, you're the priest of your family. That's for you to do, to lead your family and to pray for those kids and bring them before the Lord. And then we just see what the Lord's going to do. You know, ultimately is not in our hands. But let's do it hopefully too. Because I, I, what drives me crazy, I'll give you a pet peeve of mine, is the just wait people. Just wait sounds like this. Newlyweds there, like, oh, how's marriage going? Oh, it's great, we're enjoying it. Just wait. <laughs> like, why would you do that? This is so common. Or, you know, oh, you have kids? Yeah, I have kids. Oh, how's it going? It's going great. Well, how old are they? <laughs> it's like, well, she's nine. Well, just wait. Just wait till they're teenagers. It's like you're a prophet of doom. Like, get away from me. You know, like... Let's not do that. We want to be hopeful. We go into, you know, we have two kids entering the teen years right now, and we're, in, we're enjoying this time with them, and we're hoping that God's going to make this a great time for us to go deeper with them. So let's not do the just wait to each other, okay? Now you know. Um, so parenting's never been done without sin, and the results are not entirely up to you. Hope that loosens you up. So this morning we're going to look at this text, and we're going to look at the purpose of parenting and the tools of parenting, and then we'll look at the power of parenting. First, the, the, the purpose Parenting is a discipleship relationship. Take a look again at Proverbs 23, 26. It says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Um, first, it's a, it's a relationship. I see that with give me your heart. Okay, This is a relationship with your kids. And it's discipleship, and I see that in observe my ways. First, the relationship part. He says, give me your heart. I love, this is one of my favorite passages on, on parenting in this, in this book. Because parenting is about a growing relationship, and it's a relationship that's growing and deepening over time. I have a diagram. Okay? Some just come for the diagrams. Oh, that would be bad. You guys were like, no! Takes out the communion table. Yeah, that's, that's like just the exact thing you don't want to do. Okay, so let me just give you a diagram of parenting. So, um, so make a little chart here. So this access is time, okay? So this is, you know, there's zero, and then like maybe they're 18 or 20 or 45 there. Um, here is, um, is relationship. These are types of influence that you have over your kid. You can influence them through your relationship. You can influence them through your authority. Okay, so this is influence type. This one and that one. And so when you, when you first have your child and it's an infant, you're here, right? So you have all authority over them and no relationship. Some of you will say, no, no, we have this great relationship. You don't. This is an infant. You know, there's, they want certain things from you and you give it to them. Okay, so there's authority. What we want to see over time in your relationship with your kid is something like this. So the type of influence you're having is your authority is slowly going to fade away and you'll come to a point here where you really don't have authority to tell them what to do or anything like that. We have a lifelong commandment to our parents to honor them. We have a, a defined period of time where we are to obey them. But the obedience part is while we're a child, and then when we're adults, we honor them, right? So we honor them at this point, but we don't have to obey them. And so what you have in the best kind of way with parenting is, is that as you... Um, get, as your child gets older, as you grow in your relationship, the relationship gets stronger and stronger so that out here the type of influence you have is relationship. 
It's relationship, not authority. So when you get to that point where you don't really have any authority and you can't tell them what to do, they still come to you as a mentor, as a, as a trusted mentor, because you have shown them that, one, you're wise and that you are for them. You developed a relationship as a mentor for them. And so that's the way we're trying to go in, in parenting. Now, there's two ways to go wrong with that. One of them is this way, and what that would be is early on when the child's young and stuff, you're trying to do everything by relationship. You're trying to like, hey, we're going to be buddies. Let's do this, you know, and you're not using your authority. And when we see parents like that or ourselves, we go like, be the parent, okay? This is a person that's not using their authority. This is a person that's relying too much on just relational things at that point. The other problem, though, is here, and that problem is the parent that's constantly pulling the authority card and doesn't develop a relationship with their kid. This shows up in dumb blog posts by men who say things like, this is the kind of guy that my daughter is allowed to marry. I've got bad news for you. You have no say. <laughs> really. I mean, you've seen how those things go down. They don't go down well because um, you don't really have the kind of authority to do that at that point. You, don't, you know, over your 25, 30-year-old daughter, you're not able to say, obey me anymore, right? And if you haven't built that relationship of trust and intimacy where she sees that she's for you and that that you're for her and that you're wise, um, you're not going to have the authority to do that. And so this is super helpful to me, to just think about the relationship. I mean, we're using both of these as they grow up, but constantly trying to build a relationship with them so that when they're 18 or 20 or whatever, they're going to still reach out to us and want our influence in their lives. Um, and, and there's a couple of texts to think about with this. One is, is that, you know, there's that lifelong commandment that we honor our parents, Exodus 20, or honor them. And then um, there's a, you know, obey, which is just in this area, right? Uh, another passage to think about in this context is uh, Genesis 2.24, which says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That that influence um, of relationship is all that's left at that point. You don't have that authority over each other. Another thing to think about when you're thinking about your relationship with your kid is um, it is very helpful to your children if your top priority relationally is your spouse, if you have one. It's super important. The best thing you can do for your children is to love your spouse more than you love anyone else on earth. It's very important, actually, for children to realize they're number three. Okay? So the, 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 um, the priorities go God, right? Your spouse, if you have one, then your children. It's actually super helpful for your kids to know that their parents love each other in such a way that has a higher priority than them because they're going to leave. Genesis uh, 2.24 says that they're going to leave their father and mother, Right? And a lot of things can happen where you, you know, you form too tight of an attachment to your kids at the expense of your marriage. I see this all the time. A few helpful suggestions, not to get in your business too much. A few practical ways that you can emphasize that that relationship is primary is, one, give your kids an early bedtime. And there may be a struggle with this. There may be crying. No kids ever died from crying. Uh, there may be a lot of crying. Establish an early, consistent bedtime. Why? Because you need to be with your spouse, right? You need to spend time together, and, and they ought not to encroach upon that. I love my kids, by the way, okay? I know it sounds like brutal. <laughs> so here's another one, controversial. Do not let your kids sleep in your bed. Don't let your kids sleep in your bed. Your bed is for the two of you, for a husband and a wife. You know, it's not for your children to be like sleeping in the middle of you. What does that say? <laughs> what does it say when your kids consistently sleep in the bed with you? It shows priority. Another thing is don't let your kids interrupt your conversations with each other. You know, you're talking to your husband, your kid butts in, shut them down, you know, because you need to show them 
This relationship is primary. We love you. We affirm you. We're here for you. But this relationship is the enduring relationship. This is the one flesh relationship of Genesis 2. Um, Plan times together without them. Um, Be a unified front. I love this. So when you're doing parenting, don't pit each other against each other. Sometimes the kids detect, oh, that's the easy one. That's the soft target. That's the harder one, right? Be a unified front. That looks like, okay, you're having a disagreement. You got to figure this thing out. You go, we're going to have a parent meeting. You go in there, you come out, and you act like you both 100% agree whether you do or not, right? You're a unified front. It'd be great if it took your kids till they're about seven or eight to realize you're actually different people, okay? <laughs> like, they should have exactly the same consistency come from the two of you. So it's a, it's a relationship. It's also a discipleship relationship. I see that in our text here where it says, observe my ways. Guys, discipleship is a process of learning to do all the things Christ has commanded by the power of the Spirit from a transformed heart. Discipleship is learning to do all the things Christ has commanded by the power of the Spirit through a transforming heart. And parenting is about discipleship. And I see that in our text here where it says, observe my ways. Parenting is about discipleship. And this is super helpful to know, guys, because as parents, we're pulled in all different directions. Like, is parenting mostly about, like, I got to develop their athletic performance? Like, I got to get this kid, you know, a college scholarship, and they got to be, like, the best in their thing. Is that my goal? Or is my goal that they would have the best education possible or the most fun possible or that they would, you know, um, be as financially successful as possible? Charles Bridges said this. He said, most people deal with their children as if they were born only for this world, to educate them for time and not eternity. Our main purpose in parenting is discipleship, that after they would come to saving faith in Jesus, that they would learn to do all the things Christ commanded by the power of the Spirit through a transformed heart. So how do we do that? How do we go after that? What are the tools of parenting? I see three in the Proverbs that I want to take you through. And the three of them are this. Instruction, we're to instruct our kids. Correction, that one's fun. And affirmation. So we're going to look at instruction, correction, and affirmation. First, we'll look at instruction. The whole book of Proverbs is actually a father's instruction to his kids. So we can go through the Proverbs and we can kind of see what instruction looks like. And, um, and instruction can happen either at like set times where you sit down with your kid and you instruct them, or it can happen along the way, right? A lot of it happens along the way. Um, we have practiced something in our family of having kind of discipleship times. And this is something I'd learned from Marcelo, just finding him in a Starbucks and wondering why he was there was this kid. And then finding out he had this whole thing where he meets up with his kids. And we do it off and on. Sometimes we do it better than others, but um, we're, we're doing it lately. And, um, and, you know, you find a location. So you go somewhere outside the house, you know, you go Starbucks or Panera. Uh, donut shop's cheap. Um, McDonald's is cheap if you get a ice cream cone. It's a dollar. Like, you can do this. this is, there's no financial hardship there. And we usually go through a book together. And our, the boys and I are now separately with each one. We're going through this book, Core Christianity, Finding Yourself in God's Story by Michael Horton. So this is like a systematic theology, but it's not hard, too hard for, you know, 12, 13-year-old can totally do this. And so they read the chapter and I tell them, mark it up, and then I'll just, we'll talk about whatever they want to talk about that's in this book. So I'm not like, sit down, child. I'm not doing another sermon. They already hear one sermon a week from me, so we're not doing that, but we're, we're, we're discussing it. And um, Ellie and I have been doing kind of different things. She's nine, and uh, like la- yesterday, we talked about communion. We went out to Starbucks, talked about communion, because she got baptized recently, so she's going to start taking communion. So it's talking about what it is and, and stuff like that. So hers is kind of free-flowing. We do different things. Discipleship can happen at dinner. We're not doing this right now, but we have before. We take a devotional book. Read something brief, dads. Part of the problem with dads is, like, they, when they go, oh, I need to do this, they go, like, I need to do this for an hour. It's like, no, you need to do this for three minutes. <laughs> like, you need to do something very brief. And I eat fast, so when we are on our game and we're doing this, 
you know, I eat, and then, then that keeps me from eating more. Is pop the book out, read a little. Um, you could sing the doxology afterwards. That one's fun. Um, let me show you a few books. So here's a few books that, um, that Tasha, my wife, she, she started a church library out there. And these are in the library, so you could, like, check these out, like, right after this. This is called My First uh, Book of Question and Answers by Mackenzie. This is really cool. So this is a catechism, but real simple questions with kind of a, you know, Calvin and Hobbes looking pictures. Kind of. And, you know, what's the first commandment? You talk through it, and it's a great little discipleship booklet. You could have it with you all the time. Kids love being quizzed. When they learn a few of these answers, they just love being quizzed. Most kids do. Um, we've got Big, Put, Big Picture Interactive um, Storybook. Uh, this one's really cool. It goes through the Old Testament. And what's really cool is it points to Christ throughout, even in these simple stories. And these are the big pages where, like, the kids can chew on them and stuff, you know, and they get real nasty. Um, this one is similar. This is made by the Gospel Project, our curriculum and children's ministries Gospel Project. And this is connecting Christ throughout the, the, through God's story. It's called Big Picture Interactive Storybook. And so, like, okay, this is a perfect one to open to. David and Goliath goes through that, and then at the bottom it goes through the Christ connection. How does the story of David and Goliath connect to Christ? Because that can be taught in a very moralistic, bizarre way. But really it points to, you know, Christ, the one who ultimately defeated death and, and sin on our behalf, right? Um, Thoughts That Make My Heart Sing. This is a really cool one by Sally Lloyd-Jones. She made the Jesus Storybook Bible. And this one's um, some devotionals, really cool gospel center material. Um, this is a favorite book of almost all of us here. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Awesome, awesome. This is a great one to give to families that may not be Christians, but it's got amazing art, and it always brings the story back to Christ. It's a great way to sneak the gospel into a home that likes nice pictures but may not go to church. You get them this book. It's really good. Okay, um, this one's good. It's the I Am book. It's 40 Reasons to Trust God, and it goes through different names of God, and uh, also nice pictures, um, but really theologically rich, and it's something you could read to your kids. Um, the biggest story, how the snake crusher brings us back to the garden, is a really cool one about Jesus, the big story of redemption. Um, the action storybook Bible, these are all for you to check out, isn't that cool? So this one's like comic book style, so if you've got a kid that likes into comic books, this is a really cool depiction of different stories of the Bible. There's another one called the action Bible, and it's funny, when we give it to our kids, like, I remember, I think it was Mason or Miles, he was sitting there and he was going through it, and he's like, Daddy, the Bible's really violent. You know, because it was like the action Bible, so it's all the action stories, and it was really violent. Um, the gospel story uh, Bible is really good. This one's one to use at dinner. It's got a little devotions here. Um, this one's one we used before. This is not available for checkout because it's, this is our personal one, but the big book of questions and answers about Jesus, and this is by Sinclair Ferguson. And we used to do this where we would get together when they were younger, read a thing, and then I'd have them draw. That's actually my drawing. Um, I'd have them draw pictures, and these are when they were real little, so it's kind of cool. They would draw a picture that related to what we talked about. We do that at Starbucks or something. Okay, two more. The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross is another big, big story of redemption book. Really cool. And then this one's my favorite. It's the Church History ABCs, right, from Augustine on. And uh, this is really cool because it'll have different people in church history so they, they can learn about their people, right? Like, John Dunn and Jonathan Edwards eating chocolate and his spider and stuff like that. Really fun stuff. So um, anyway, I'm going to give this over here to the librarian. Um, if you guys end up hearing that I have a romantic relationship with the librarian, it's true. She's right here. So um, that's true. It's been going on a long time. 
Okay, so it can happen at Starbucks. It can happen, you know, at home, at dinner time. Bedtime's a good time to do it, to read a little bit to them. Um, I'm kind of impatient at bedtime. I'm like, you just need to be put away now, you know, kind of a thing. So it's not the best time for me. What I have done, though, is I'll pray for them um, or, or say a blessing. This is kind of cool. If you, you know, because we do different things and we get in a rut, sometimes instead of praying for them, you could bless them. So you put your hand on their head, and you can read Numbers 624. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up your countenance and give you peace. Isn't that cool? Put your hand right on the kid's head. There's lots of great benedictions that you can do that way. And sometimes I'll do the sign of the cross on them. You know, the Lord bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Sometimes I'll go in the name of the Father and then tickle them here and tickle them there. You know, like it's a blessing and tickling. Um, but we also do it along the way, right? It says in Proverbs uh, 23, 26, observe my way. A lot more is caught than taught, right? They're watching us. They're like our best accountability partner, right? Because they're always there and they're seeing what I do and they're, and they're taking it on. And we instruct them along the way, whether we're in our car or in line or in a store or wherever we are, looking for teachable moments. The Proverbs constantly do that, by the way. The father in here is like, look at the ant, look at that sluggard, you know, I don't know if you want to do that. But um, looking at things that are happening and making lessons out of them and, and bringing it back to Christ. Now, because it, parenting is discipleship, our instruction, guys, should be the same kind of instruction we give any believer, just age-appropriate. And what I mean by that is kids should not get moralism just because they're kids. And a lot of, you know, children's material and stuff like that is moralistic. The classic is the Veggie Tales, right? So you tell a Bible story, you tell them what they should do, and then you're done. It's like, a, it's like an Aesop's Fables. Right? The Bible isn't meant to be seen that way. The Bible is meant to show that Christ is the hero of every story, right? And that he is the one that we need to trust in for both salvation and change. And so we don't want to give them just God's law and tell them to just do it without taking them to the gospel and the spirit, just like you would with a friend, okay? I'll give you an example. So you're driving along in the car, and, uh, and your son's, you know, fighting with, your, with his sister, and you say, um, you know, stop fighting with your sister. And she sa- he says, well, she's annoying me. And I'm like, well, she's annoying everyone. No, I just, uh, but she's annoying me. You say, we better stop. And they're like, I can't. What do you say next? Kid says they can't. Can't be nice to their sister. What do you say next? This is important because one thing you could say is, yes, you can and you better or you're going to pay. Okay, what's the motive behind that though? It's okay to threaten punishment. That's totally fine. But the problem here is you just told the kid that they can in their own power and that they better just try harder. Is that what you do with your friend? Sit with a friend at Starbucks. He's dealing with porn. You say, you better stop. Say, I can't. We better, you're going to die. Okay, like, that's one technique. Um, But we would want to, right, point a person to the gospel and the power of the Spirit, and we want to do that with our kids, too, in an age-appropriate way. Does that make sense? And so what you want to say to the kid is, you're right, buddy. You can't love your sister the way you ought to. And what I think you really should do right now is you should pray. You should be quiet, and you should pray, or else. No, (laughs) yeah, that could be part of it. That could be it. But, But pray that God is going to change your heart and give you the power to love your sister. And you know what? I'm going to pray with you about that. And let me show you some things in Scripture about how the Spirit transforms us, right? That's the way to do it. It takes more time, but we're after shepherding their hearts, not just modifying their behavior. Passage says, give me your heart, right? Like I said, there's a lot of material that's moralistic out there, but we want to point them to Christ. That's why I really like the children's curriculum we're using. So we're using Gospel Project for the younger kids here, and then we're using Bible Project for the older kids And what's really cool is in all these videos and teachings, it's pointing them to Christ and the Spirit for the power to change. And they get a little handout afterwards, and you can take that and you can reinforce that. 
And then all the videos, you can find them on YouTube. So if you just look for Gospel Project, there's some for adults and kids, so find the one that are for kids, and you could reinforce those things at home. Okay, so there's instruction. Secondly, there's correction. Um, our culture is weird on correction. Uh, a lot in our culture don't think that children should be corrected, right? They have this weird idea of children that they're just kind of these innocent balls of positive potential, right? So there's a child... They're an innocent ball of positive potential. If we would just not get in the way, they're going to flower into this wonderful, you know, you know self-actuated being that's just going to be so great. But because adults keep getting in the way, they mess them up. Um, Golding's book, Lord of the Flies, does a good job rebuking that, right? Like, what happens if you took a bunch of kids and threw them on an island? Piggy dies, right? That's what happens. Spoiler alert. The Bible, guys, says that the age of innocence ended a long time ago. It ended in Genesis 3. It was millennia ago. And now everybody that's born, us and our children, are born full of what the Proverbs call foolishness. And so they need to learn wisdom through both instruction and correction. I wish it was just instruction. I'm bigger on that. You know, I wish it was just, we just instruct them and things go great. But they actually have to be corrected, too. Proverbs 22:15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of instruction will drive it far from them. And foolishness in Proverbs isn't that they're being kids or that they just don't know. Foolishness is in adults, too, and it's an active resistance to the way God's made the world. Okay? We're resisting God in the way he's made the world, and it has horrible consequences. So our kids need both instruction and correction when they stray from wisdom. And it's really cool because the Proverbs give multiple ways of correction. Because you're like, yep, it's about spanking. That's one part. But check this out. Proverbs uh, 29.15 says, The rod, which would be spanking in our context, the rod and reproof give wisdom. There's two things. But a child left to himself brings shame on his mother. What do we see there? We see a physical correction. You know, spanking, timeout. Those would be things you do with their body, right? And you see verbal correction. And, and when we do spank them, we do give them, you know, physical correction, it's never to be done out of retribution because you're angry at them um, or anything like that. It's about correction out of love. It's about correcting the way God does. If you take a look at Proverbs 3.11, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary by his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Isn't that interesting? So correction by our father, God, is out of his love and his delight in us. And so kids do need physical discipline for a time. And I think that's something that we need to help each other with. I think if you're a younger parent, um, if you could find an older parent that's here and, and learn from them and ask your questions, that would be hugely helpful. Because, you know, most of us, I mean, none of us, we don't know what we're doing, right? That's why we need each other. And so it'd be really helpful to say, hey, how does a spanking thing work? I don't know if I'm doing this right. Am I, am I being too harsh? Am I not doing it enough? What's going on here? You know, that'd be something great. You know, ask me if you have questions. I'm not the seasoned parent, but I'll find you one. And, um, and, and you can, can learn from each other. But physical discipline is important. The Proverbs say, though, that physical discipline isn't the only kind of correction, though, right? And it's not always the right one. Remember with one of our kids, like, I realized over and over again that when we got into the same track where we were at each other, that physical discipline was not the next right step. It seemed like emotionally and stuff like that just wound them up more, and it made things more difficult, and we needed to do something else. So we needed, they're different. People are different. Our children are all different. Um, correction sometimes needs to be verbal. And that's why in this passage you see that there's reproof. Verbal corrections needed sometimes. Verbal correction is always better. The Proverbs say that the wise man responds to the verbal and doesn't need the physical, right? Proverbs 17.10 says, a, a rebuke goes deeper into a man, 
of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. And so what we want is our kids, as they get older and older, that, they, that that word of rebuke goes deep into their hearts. Some of you guys have kids that just came out that way. Word of rebuke, and they're like, got it, sorry, you know, about face, right? And then some of them, you know, we draw our own conclusions from there. But um, correction, guys, correction can be exhausting, right? Correction can be exhausting, and it pushes us to our limits. And, and we need to be, take care not to, like Colossians says, provoke our kids. You know, this thing can become real heated. If we get heated up in this thing, Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We can provoke and discourage our kids. And I just want to give you a few ways you could do that. One of them, not that you should, to avoid. But um, we provoke and discourage our kids when we're too restrictive, right? Parenting is about teaching our kids that it's a good thing to live under good authority, right? That's what we're trying to show them. Ultimately, we want them to see that it's a good thing to live under God's good authority, and we can mess this up, though, guys, when we are too restrictive in our rules. All of us have in our homes, we have God's rules, and then we have house rules. We have to have house rules, too, because God doesn't have rules about certain things like, you know, putting your clothes away or whatever, right? Turn your socks the right way before you put them in the dirty clothes, things like that, right? And we need to be careful that those house rules are not too restrictive, because they reflect in some way on God. To give you an example, I cannot stand eating noises at all. Okay, and it's a weakness of mine. I don't know why it is the way it is, but Tasha knows she comes in, she can eat something, she turns music up, because she knows, like, I have a weakness for this. I cannot stand any eating noises, okay? I cannot stand people crunching ice. Like, people crunching ice is like a total offense to me. I don't know why. I'm also a neat freak. Like, if I had the way, there would be no extraneous material on countertops, it would be just bare walls, bare countertops. Everything's in drawers. I'm intense. I ought not to put that on my kids, though, right? I ought not to put that on my kids. My kids, you know, should not have those types of rules. That's my problem, right? I want to reflect God's generous rules, right? God is generous in his rules. First, First John 5, 7 says, this is the love for God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And so we ought to be careful that our house rules are not so burdensome and restrictive because we're freaks, you know, we're control freaks, and we just want to control things. It's like, no, let's do the minimum amount of rules, the rules that are needed, but when unnecessary restrictions, you provoke them. Also, disciplining out of anger does, and I know this is convicting because we've all sinned in this area, but we should never discipline our kids out of anger, either physically, verbally, in our restrictions. I mean, sometimes we're so angry, so, you know, you're restricted for eight months, you know, it's like, well, that's dumb, you're going to back down on that, and if you don't, you're a tyrant, right? And so um, we ought not to discipline them out of anger. If you're angry, you need to cool off, you know? So, you know, you got a kid that's being disobedient. They do need to be disciplined in some way. They're physically or, or verbally. You need to cool off. You need to have them go in their room. There's no hurry, you know? This transgression's not going to disappear. It's right there, you know? Um, go pray. Have some time to cool off. It's no hurry. You need to have yourself under control. The Proverbs talk about having your own spirit under control before you go try and control somebody else's, Right? Um, and how do I know that I'm ready to discipline them when I don't want to do it? So, you know, I'm super mad, put them in there, go away, and I'm like, oh, let's just let it go. I'm like, okay, now you need to do it. So now I, the, I can't let it go, but I, I want to be at that place where I'm not really, you know, I'm not emotionally involved in this anymore. You go in, you explain what they did wrong, you explain why it's wrong, you sp- explain what the punishment is, you explain why it's that punishment, because you're wanting to shepherd their heart 
not just be, uh, modify their behavior. And then you give them whatever the discipline is, whether it's spanking. For us, our kids are older. We're not spanking them anymore, but they're getting other things, you know, maybe some sort of restriction or whatever on something that they value that might be more painful, okay? Um, then what you need to do after you've given them their correction, you need to assure them that they're forgiven and it's over. Like, it needs to be like that. We need to forgive them. We're modeling God's forgiveness. It's as if it never happened. I remember one of our kids one time did something and told him it was forgiven, and later it came back, and he wanted to apologize again. I'm like, dude, it didn't happen. It's gone. There's nothing to apologize for. When I said I forgave you, I forgave you. It's just like God forgives, right? As far as the East is from the West. Guys, as parents, real talk, we need to be very careful about resentment. A lot of people are not forgiving their kids, and they are resentful of their kids. And that's why it escalates each time, because they haven't really forgiven their children. So beware of resentment. Um, another thing that we can provoke them with is shame and insult. I think we see that in public. Sad. You see that in public in a restaurant or whatever. You see a parent's been pushed to their limit, and then they resort to berating their kid and insulting them and just trashing them in public, you know, um, punishing them in public. We are called to reprove their sin, but to do it privately and not in a way that tears them down. Frederick Douglass, who was an escaped slave and who was later an abolitionist and an author, he said this, it is easier to build strong children than to fix broken men. So we need to be very careful about shaming them, about insulting them. And you know what that command really reminds us? This command of um, don't provoke your children and discourage them really reminds us of our kids. It reminds us that they're our neighbors. Your kid is your neighbor. When When God says, love your neighbor as yourself, we need to love our kids as ourselves. Our kids deserve the golden rule from us. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. It's really important that we see them as human beings, right? That, that we owe love as a neighbor and to treat them as we'd want to be treated. Because, guys, you're in a temporary position of authority over them. But bottom line is, your kid is of equal dignity and worth and value as you. They're your brothers and sisters in the Lord, if they're believers, right? And we need to treat them like that. Um, including how we present them on social media. And I think, think through that. Think, ask your kids, do you want this picture posted? Do you want me to say this kind of thing about you? They are their own human beings. And it's crazy when you think about it. Like, you have been entrusted with actual human beings. This is crazy. I remember this when, you know, when Tasha was first pregnant with our first kid. I was driving around my truck. I actually ran my truck into a wall, I think, because of this. I was, like, really stressed out because I was thinking, like, someday this kid's going to grow up and say, oh, you know, my dad was like this, and I'm the dad in the story. It's super freaky, you know? And when we went to get him from the hospital, you know, all they said is, like, you can have this human if you have a car seat. <laughs> Anybody can find a car seat, you know? Like, isn't there a test or, like, you, do you have any instructions? They're like, no, this is your kid. It's freaky. Andy Wilson said this in a Death by Living. He said, other real live souls are now depending on you. You are the creator of their childhood. You are the influencer of their dreams, tastes, and fears. You are the MC of their reality, the one who introduces those small people to the true personality of their maker, as imagined by your life more than your words. No pressure, <laughs> right? Remember, you only have that one lane, but this is huge, right? Another way that we, um, we can provoke them is by relying on our authority, like I talked about on the whiteboard, relying on authority instead of a relationship. You know, we want to be developing a relationship with them. We want them to give us our hearts. You know, someday these, these kids are going to, you're going to look to them for wisdom. Someday these kids are going to take care of you probably. Think about that. Table's turned. 
<laughs> right? Um, I mean, it's so fun, though, as they grow up, you know, just thinking through, you know, the wisdom that God gives them. All three of our kids are funny, and they're insightful in their different ways, and they're good examples on me for, in a lot of ways. I mean, they're, they're accountability for sure. Um, Mason, who's our oldest, he's super extroverted. And so he's constantly like, you know, if we're going to do something, hey, why don't we invite that family? Why don't we invite these people? Why don't we invite that person? I'm like, why don't we just go to the movies? You know, like, <laughs> it's crazy. And I'll be out in a store or whatever. And if he sees me, and sometimes I'll do this just for him. But if I start talking to a stranger, you know, which I wouldn't normally do, and I start talking to a stranger and stuff like that, he'll be like, hey, dad, 10 extrovert points for that. I saw that. You know, he'll like give me extrovert points for it. I don't know what I'm earning, but he actually brought me to the men's group on Saturdays, like four weeks ago. I wasn't going to go. He's like, are we going to the men's group? And I'm like, he's 15. And I'm like, um, yes. And he's like, good. We need to go. I'm like, okay. And I even went, I went yesterday by myself because he was sick. But um, he was the one that, you know, was like, let's do this. But um, yeah, take care not to provoke him and discourage him. And take care that you don't get provoked and discouraged. Proverbs uh, 19.14 says, Discipline your son or daughter, for there is hope. Don't lose hope in this. I know this is super hard to do. I do it too. And you're just like, okay, no more correction. I can't handle this anymore, right? But you keep doing it. Why? Because you love your kid and because you trust God. Don't give up. Third one, affirmation. So our tools are instruction, correction, and affirmation. Affirmation. Affirmation is super important. Affirmation is noticing something good in another person and telling them. Specifically, in Christian parenting, we're looking for something that God's doing in their life and thanking God for it, but to their face, right? Sometimes we'll tell another person, but we won't do it to their face. Affirmation is super important. Proverbs 23, 15 says, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips shall speak what is right. Or, or Proverbs 29, 17 Discipline your son and he will give you rest and he will give delight to your heart. Guys, we need to, every time we see anything that makes us happy and who they are, we need to tell them. We need to constantly be expressing to our kids the joy we have in them. We want to tell, be happy about the kind of person that God's made them. You know, God's made them different than you in, in great ways. Express that. Express any time you see some new fruit of the Spirit in them, right? You say, oh, wow, I saw patience there. That's, this is new. You know, this is something God's doing you. It's so great. Even if they aren't believers yet, guys, anything that's good in their lives is ultimately from the Lord, right? It's God's common grace. So you want to cite them and say, I praise God for this in you and that in you. Want to affirm them. It's super important to balance affirmation and correction. Because we've got to correct these guys constantly, right? We need to also make sure we're affirming them. There's a book um, that's really great called Practicing Affirmation, really thin book. And in it, he's got this example. He says, uh, affirmation and correction, we ought to think about like a bank account. Every time you correct your kid, you wrote a check. Every time you affirmed him, you made a deposit. And then you got to think about your life. You think about each day with your kids. Are you overdrawn? There might be a reason why these checks aren't going through, you know? It might be a lack of affirmation. I'll give you an example. So a teenage kid comes home, and parents say, you're late. And they say, don't put your jacket there. Did you clean your room? Your room's a mess. You need to clean your room. Did you do your homework? You haven't been doing your homework. What did you do? Just wrote four checks. <laughs> Just wrote four checks. It would not be surprising if that kid stayed away later and later and spent time with more and more people that would affirm him, and they're probably going to affirm him for things you don't want him to affirm for. So practice affirmation. Because we have to correct him a lot. We need to affirm a lot. And affirmation is hard for some of you guys probably because like, you have an easier time seeing when things are wrong than when they're right. Some of you just have that personality. You know, like you notice, 
And all of us are to some degree like that. When everything's going great, we're not like, this is great. I mean, like we're in a room right now that's a great temperature. There's no crazy noises, buzzing. There's nobody outside that wants to kill us. And we don't think of any of those things, right? We aren't thankful for any of it. You guys are going to get in cars. You're not going to walk home. You're going to be in a car. You're going to go home to a house that wasn't pillaged while you were gone. Like, it's amazing. Like, this is amazing life, right? But we don't think of those kind of things, do we, right? Because we notice, when, same thing with your family. You don't notice when they're doing the right. We need to work on honing that, that we encourage that when we see it. Um, some of you might struggle with affirmation because you're resentful. of their sin from the past, you know? Like, I have a hard time affirming you because I'm still mad at you for all those times you did whatever. We make sure we're forgiving them so we can affirm them. And maybe, guys, it's hard to affirm because you haven't felt affirmation from your Father in heaven. I think there's a real gospel issue here. I think in all of parenting, we talk about the power of parenting. The power of parenting comes from the gospel. Because, guys, as much as we need information about parenting, the bigger thing we need is we need an experience. We need an experience of our Father's love for us, right? That's what we need for parenting. For parenting, we need an experience of, of our Heavenly Father's love. Because a lot of times, guys, we treat kids the way we think God treats us. So if we see God as, you know, cold and harsh and resentful and restrictive and disappointed with us all the time, guess what? That's going to be my demeanor towards my kids. But if we see God's love for us, we really soak and bask in God's love for us, it frees our hearts in a way to, to forgive their sins and love them more. So how has your father loved you? I just want to end on this. How does your father love you? In the beginning, guys, God created us to be in this relationship of love and trust and mutual enjoyment. That's what he created human beings for, that we would be his created kids and we'd have happy trust in him and he would have enjoyment of us. You see that in Genesis 2, don't you? He makes Adam and Eve and he's, he's playing with them, right? He takes out Adam and he's like, he shows them all the animals and he says, oh, what do you want to name this? And he says it and he goes, oh, that's hilarious. That's great. Okay, what about this one, you know? And, and he's playing with them. He keeps coming down. He gets down on their level and enjoys them, right? But what happened? We rejected that perfect love of God and we wanted to live without his interference, we made ourselves his enemies. Ephesians 2 says that we were by nature children of wrath, that we deserve God's holy wrath. Like we blew it. We deserve his holy wrath, children of wrath. And yet God does the strangest thing. So he could have easily gone with Adam and Eve and with us, right? He could have easily just said, just let us go. They're like, well, you don't want me. I don't want you either, right? Get out of here. You're dead to me, right? He could have sent us away. He could have sent us away to hell. But instead of letting us go, you know what he did? He did this really weird thing. He, he let his perfect son go instead. You know, instead of letting you go, he let his son go instead. Um, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God the Father gave his son for us. And you've never seen a father and son relationship like theirs. Just an amazing father and son relationship. From eternity past, enjoying each other. You know, the, 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 the son always being like the full delight of his father, right? And the father always being the full delight of the son for eternity past. This great relationship. And God the father, because he loves you, you know, because he loves you. Because he loves you, he gave his son for you. I wouldn't do that for any of you guys. Seriously. I wouldn't give my son for any of you guys, and I like you guys. You guys haven't done anything to harm me, and I wouldn't give my son for you. Would you give your son for me? Of course not. God gave his son for his enemies. God gave his son for you because he loves you. 
And, and I would just ask you guys, hey, do you know that love? Because he says, whoever believes. Oh, this is such a beautiful gospel word. Whoever. Like, who can have this? Whoever. Whoever believes. You're a whoever. Right? You're a whoever too. You're all whoever's. Right? But you could be so much more than just a whoever. You know what you could be? You could be a son or daughter of God. And those of you who are trusting in him are. And the cool thing is that your relationship with God is Jesus' relationship with God. Like, you are actually, you're included in that eternal relationship of love and enjoyment that I described. That is your relationship with God the moment you believe. It's not like you start off your relationship with God, you got to prove yourself, maybe get into his good graces. No, you are immediately put in the place that Jesus deserves to be put in. You have that eternal, amazing relationship of delight with God. Now, you're learning to live that out, but the Father is already completely enjoying you like he enjoys Christ. And now you have a Father who delights in you. Think about when you pick up your kids from school, and there's just like this mob of kids. It'd be scary if you didn't, you know, if you weren't prepared. This mob of kids, and they're coming out of the school and streaming out of school, and they're all blur. And then you see your kids, and what are they? They're in perfect focus. And you see your two kids or your three kids or whatever, and there's this haze of mob, and in clarity are your kids. That's the way God looks at you. He looks over the sea of humanity. He sees his kids with perfect clarity. He delights in you. He, he's a father that, you know, Always will have full authority, right? We always obey this Father. We always have full authority, but he wants to lead us out of a relationship of love. He wants us more and more. He says to you, he says, my daughter, give me your heart. He says, my son, give me your heart. Isn't that awesome? That's the way he wants to relate to us. And he disciplines us, right? Not haphazardly like we do, you know, where we're changing the rules all the time and changing the punishments and it's just crazy right? It's not haphazard, and he never does it out of wrath. He's never once disciplined us out of anger. He always does it for our good because he delights in us, and he's a father who all of his rules are not burdensome. He doesn't have, he's not cranky like I am. He doesn't want to hear noises or something like that or wants everything put away. He's not a neat freak. He's not, you know, crusty. He's not annoyed. His, his rules are not burdensome. He's easily pleased by everything you do. He's easily pleased, He's easily pleased with any obedience. Now, before you're a Christian, yes, he was your judge, and there was no way to please him, and there was no way to be right with him, right? All your righteous deeds were like filthy rags. But now that you're his child, he's the type that takes whatever you have and whatever you've brought, and he covers it with his son's blood, and he delights in it. You know, it's like the picture your kids give you, and you put it on the fridge, you know? Maybe your kid's good at art. Maybe your kid's not good at art. And you're just like, this is amazing, you know? The Lord's like that with every bit of our obedience. And he's liberal with his affirmation. And he's a father that's implanted his holy DNA in you. And the Spirit is now causing that, that holy DNA of his to show more and more. So you're more and more in his likeness. You have a relationship with God like that? Jesus has done everything you need to start that today. And maybe you've known the Lord and trusted in Christ for a long time, but you haven't had that relationship he wants you to have that today. He wants you to feel that today. To know that you're loved like that. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to warm you up. It's going to warm you up to your kids. It's going to make you more forgiving. It's going to make you more gracious because you've been loved. You know, people talk about, well, and this is true. Like, you know, the experience you had with your parents affects you and how you parent, right? And some of us haven't had good experiences. I actually have. My parents, they weren't believers uh, growing up. They're believers now. But, like, I always felt their pleasure. I think that's incredibly rare. But I never felt like I was a disappointment to them. I never felt like I didn't measure up. I never felt like they were, you know, there was some other thing they wanted from me. I always felt, felt their full pleasure my whole life. It's crazy, huh? Yeah. 
I think that's rare. I think that's rare. And so, like, when I hear this gospel thing, I'm like, okay, yeah, I have a category for that. Some of you don't have a category for that. And, and, and that's okay because the gospel is true. And when you experience that from your father, you'll be able to give that to your kids. Even if you had really rough parenting. You know, your father is the one that warms your heart by the gospel and, and gives you the forgiveness and grace to give to others. And so let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for you are our father. <laughs> thank you for warming our hearts by your perfect love this morning. Help us to remember this, Lord. We, we feel it right now. And yet, even in five minutes or an hour or tomorrow, we'll, we'll struggle with that and we won't feel it. And we just pray, Lord, that help us to really experience your love regularly, to see you as a father who in Christ delights in us. Father, we pray that you would do that work in our hearts. Pray for every family here. I pray for dads here, Lord, um, who are here to call to, to be that priest to their families. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you wouldn't have them beat up by their past failures or see this as impossible, but they would take whatever next step you put on their hearts and trust you to give them the strength to live out the calling you have for them. And I pray for moms here, Lord, who you know, spend probably the bulk of the time with the kids and are the most likely to really be pushed to their limit. I pray, Lord, that they would feel today forgiven for any uh, past sin against their children or any feelings of inadequacy, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that we would just move out as people that are confident because you're a God of grace. You've forgiven us. You put your spirit in us. Help us to go back into our families with a, a hope and a love and a joy that just sweetens our entire homes. And Father, we pray for those who are here that have pains related to this, Lord, that, that you would yourself minister to that. There's no earthly pain that heaven can't heal. There's no family pain that you, our Father, can't heal and give grace to, strengthen. Lord, we, we thank you that you're our Father, that you picked us up and as orphans and as rebels against you, and you said, that's my daughter, that's my son. Thank you for that. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.